The CAEH Training and Technical Assistance Program is a nonprofit consulting service with a mission to end homelessness. Their goal is to support and accelerate an end to homelessness by providing high quality, accessible, affordable, evidence-based coaching, training, and technical assistance. Choose from established and proven trainings or have something tailored specifically to meet your needs. Visit training.caeh.ca to book your consultation or training today. Meet their dedicated and friendly trainers and find out how you can end homelessness in your community once and for all at training.caeh.ca. We at On The Way Home would like to acknowledge the original stewards of whose lands this podcast is recorded on. In York Region, we recognize we're on the traditional territories of the Wendat, the Haudenosaunee, and the Anishinaabe peoples, and that this is the treaty lands of the Mississaugas of the Credit. And in Vancouver, we acknowledge that we are on the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, the Musqueam, Squahomish, and Tsleil-Waututh, whose presence on these lands continue to this day. Hello and welcome to another episode of On The Way Home. I am your host, Michael Braithwaite from Blue Door. I wish we had some, maybe like a, a catchy kind of theme song, whatever that would, uh, uh, I, I could come into. We don't have that, maybe in the future, I don't know. But hey, what's important about this podcast is that we are trying to bring you all sorts of great information um, around areas of housing, homelessness, health, wellness, uh, in an effort to prevent and end homelessness across Canada. One of the biggest challenges, as we all know, is, of course, just awareness and education around all the cool things that are happening, some of the bigger challenges, uh, what needs to be done. And we hear a lot of great solutions here uh, on the podcast. A lot of people do great work. And today's guest is no exception. Before we get to today's guest, though, I will tell you uh, lots of cool things happening uh, at the Canadian Alliance and Homelessness, who is our partner with Blue Door on this podcast of producing it. Uh, CAEH uh, does amazing work helping communities become built for zero communities where the idea is to get to a functional zero where there are enough services and housing in different places for people uh, so they don't experience homelessness. That's a very loose definition, by the way. Uh, check out their site if you want to hear more. If you want to become a built for zero community, go to CAEH.ca. Check that out. Uh, and they have a huge conference coming up. I think there's still time to sign up. That's November uh, first, I think, to the, the fourth, but check it out on their website as well. Blue Door right now is anticipating by the time you hear this podcast, hopefully we'll uh, be opening a new program called Passage House. This is uh, uh, owned by the region. They built it. It's modular housing. They built it in about 18 months. It's 18 units, uh, one bedroom units for, uh, for men in York region, which is incredible. It doesn't exist right now. It's transitional housing. They're beautiful. It's super energy efficient. Um, it's a, yeah, just a great, great thing. Uh, so Blue Door is really pumped to have that. And our whole region is really uh, excited to have 18 more spaces open up. All right, let's get to today's guest. Uh, we have a wonderful guest with us today. I have Kelly Chin here from uh, Workshop. And Kelly is an architect at Workshop. Now, Kelly, if it seems like I'm reading this, it's because I am. Uh, so I don't mess it up. I tried to commit it to memory, but it didn't work. Uh, Kelly's an architect at Workshop with an interest towards promoting social responsibility and invigorating local communities. And we'll, we'll talk all about that today. Uh, she has completed various buildings in Toronto as well as projects with the Toronto Shelter Support and Housing Administration, working on the new Rapid Housing Initiative, which, hey, as of this podcast, is, is uh, 
on uh, September 1st, we're recording it. And just yesterday, they talked about a third round. They announced it finally of rapid housing happening. So really cool. So Kelly has worked on that uh, and a thousand shelter beds projects. So lots of uh, lots of good things happening. Uh, Kelly, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Michael. Now, we ask the same question to everyone who comes on the show. Uh, there's some similar themes, but it's a little personal. It means a little something different to everyone who comes on. And that question is, what does home mean to you? Hmm. Well, you know, I think beyond the baseline feature of things like a place for shelter or safety, I think home is really a place where you have roots, knowledge, and connection, which, like, isn't a new idea. And it's not a definition that I myself have come up with, but I do think it's fitting, you know, it's beyond just a place to put your stuff. Um, and I think the definition of what that actually looks like can be quite different for everyone. But for me, it's a place where I feel most comfortable being like my truest self, you know, a place that I ultimately feel tied to in some way, um, a place that I know and I understand, you know, like I know the ins and outs of the nooks and crannies. Um, I'm comfortable there and I, and I feel compelled to return. Very cool. And it's funny when I talk about it, like many times people don't talk about the physical structure, but hey, I mean, you're an architect, so I guess you can't yeah. help but think about the physical structure yeah. at, uh, at all times. Um, and so you work with Workshop. Tell us a little bit about Workshop. What is its uh, main focus and how is it a little unique or, or different? Yeah, well, like Workshop at its first and foremost, it's an architecture studio. But um, we believe that everyone deserves access to great spaces that elevate the everyday. You know, and more than that, we start each project with sort of questioning and challenging our existing pre preconceptions. You know, we don't we don't pretend to know everything. <laughs> and we also often try to include the people who will be using a building or a space as collaborate collaborators in the creative process to try and make spaces that inspire. You know, and, and something else that we usually try to do is respect and value what's already there before proposing something new, which I think can be a little bit different. And also noticing within each project and every partnership, there's potential for fun and inventiveness. You know, we, we take our work really seriously, but ourselves a little less so. Yeah, you know, it, it's so uh, interesting to hear, you know, when you talk about we value what's already there, quite often, as I'm sure, uh, as a young architect and, and architects in general, you want to like go in there and, and redo and, you know, so it, it must be tough to do that. So it's nice to hear, you know, of course you want to value uh, what was there and incorporate. And there's lots of examples of, uh, you know, incorporating what was there with some, some new pieces uh, as well, uh, for sure. So nice to hear you're, you're doing that. Now, our, I think our listeners have a pretty good grip around this, but um, just in case they're not familiar with uh, Toronto, can you help us understand why there's such a huge need uh, for safe and affordable housing in the GTA? Yeah, for sure. Well, like like you're mentioning, you know, I don't think it's any big secret that there are some gaps in filling Toronto's housing needs. Um, you know, and I think we especially saw that come to light in the pandemic with just the sheer quantity of encampments that started to spring up in the city. You know, Toronto has previously relied very heavily on an emergency style shelter system as this catch-all to house all populations who are experiencing housing insecurity, you know, from people who experience chronic houselessness to refugees. And an emergency shelter isn't permanent housing. And, and while these typologies do serve a need, I do think that the system is overburdened and overused. Um, a recent city council report showed 
um, that when they surveyed people to ask why they weren't currently um, accessing Toronto shelter systems, like why they were preferring to sleep in an encampment, um, the vast majority of people answered things like a lack of safety, you know, feeling safer outside, a lack of privacy, health concerns. And so I do really think that it shows a need for safe and affordable permanent housing in the GTA. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I think so often as a society, we look for the like a solution, right? So it's okay, you know, uh, and it used to be years and years ago, it would be what is good enough? All right, let's get it. Let's build a better tent. Let's let's have a better bench, better sleeping bag for. But the reality is, we need better housing, not a better tent or sleeping bag. Uh, and we need all sorts of different kinds of housing. Yes, absolutely. There are some that um, suffering from extreme trauma, addictions, mental health challenges that need emergency housing. But there's also so many in encampments that are saying, hey, look, man, I just need a place where I feel safe and on my own, um, you know, where I could go to work and do, you know. So, so we need different housing. Some people want to share. I want a community. And others are saying I, I'm very independent, right? So all sorts of different types of housing. Uh, but in the past, the the uh, response always was um, more emerge, right? More shelter beds, more shelter beds. And I mean, Toronto has 8,000 shelter beds uh, and added many more with hotels during the pandemic, which are a little different too. Um, we can't build that housing fast enough. So you're so right. There, there's such a need for different types of housing. And you hear that in encampments when people, why aren't you leaving? I don't want to go to a shelter. And it's not that I love sleeping outside and I'm, I'm, I'm liking this encampment, but the option that you're providing me isn't the option I feel safe in. So uh, thank you. For that um now in the conversation around affordable housing housing in general design certainly matters right we, we kind of touch on the outsides of that can you talk about the place of design when it comes to health and dignity in housing mm. which is so important yeah for sure you know and certainly like in terms of designing for stopping the spread of communicable diseases it's pretty simple and straightforward you know it's two meter distancing wearing a mask you know things that we're all familiar with and probably sick of at this point, you know. Um, but however, I think that the things that we're hearing as to why people aren't actively accessing shelters are showing that we might be missing something from your typical public health agenda, right? And that's, that's designing with dignity. You know, a two meter separation isn't going to inherently make you feel safe when you're sleeping. It isn't going to create that definition of home that we were talking about earlier. And so how does that even translate Spatially, well, like I think it sounds complex a little bit off the bat, but it's it's actually really not. You know, thinking about these items again, you know, safety, privacy, we can see that many of these items are elements that you know architects and designers are already very familiar with designing for. You know, privacy, comfortable environment, a reasonable amount of personal space. These are all elements that things like the Ontario Building Code are familiar with addressing already, and so. How can we take these elements that we're already very well acquainted with and make them accessible across the board to everyone, you know? And I think that if we take some of those principles and make them a little bit more widespread, then all spaces can start to become truly dignified. And in addition, in addition to that, you know, thinking about things like materiality choice, um, we often, when designing for um, these types of environments, we're thinking, you know, I want to design something that is going to take a lot of impact is going to last a long time. And some of these materials aren't necessarily what you would think about when you're embodying your envision of a home, you know, things like, you know, stainless steel countertops and plumbing fixtures that, you know, 
I mean, might look cool in an industrial loft, but like in a more institutional setting, it's, it's going to emulate that sort of institutional environment. So, so, excuse me, I think materiality choice is a huge component of it, right? And it's also things like not creating a hierarchy between, you know, an operator or staff and the people who are actually living there. And, and you know, what this actually looks like spatially is, you know, think about designing a space for someone who is experiencing houselessness and, you know, the space has a lot of impact. And so it might deteriorate over time and start to look a little bit nice. And then you have a space for an operator or staff that is kept in a different condition and you put a giant glass wall between those two spaces. You know, you can start to think about what that starts to communicate, right? Um, and so in terms of designing dignified spaces and housing, I really do think it's incorporating elements that we're familiar with, like the Ontario Building Code, and making them accessible to everyone, right? And especially our most vulnerable. Construct, a social enterprise by Blue Door, provides high-quality residential and commercial construction and property services in the greater Toronto area. More than a business with a heart, Construct is a real solution to preventing and ending homelessness. Through its eight-week paid skills trades training program, Complete with wraparound supports and on-the-job work experience, Construct lifts people out of poverty and into opportunity. To hire Construct for your next project or learn more about Construct's employment program, visit constructgta.ca. Uh, I love it. I love it. It's funny, you know, um, I often use this with people. If I say, if I describe a room, a big room with 30, a concrete room with 30 bunk beds and it, uh, very little light, not very, uh, also what am I describing? People will say, well, sounds like jail, right? And I'll say, well, I'm actually describing a lot of the shelter buildings that were built, right? In the last, you know, with, with a bunch of people living together, congregate in, in one room and you're talking about design matters. And right? like when, when you talk about dignity and even staying healthy and, and how you do that healthy, not just physical health, but your mental health as well. So it's so cool to hear you talk about that. And speaking of that, you know, yes, I was just talking about for many years, that was it. Let's get as many people kind of warehousing them into a room as we can. There's been a bit of a shift from that to uh, more of a personal space, right? So uh, single room occupancy, transitional housing. Can you talk a little bit um, about that and what you're seeing and experiencing? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, well, like I mentioned earlier, you know, the shortcomings with relying so heavily on a congregate emergency style shelter were really forefronted during the pandemic. People were choosing to sleep outside, you know, as opposed to in the shelter. And at, at the same time, we're also starting to see a shift in public policy, you know, with this rapid housing initiative, which like as the name implies, it's meant to produce housing rapidly. Um, and basically, you know, for anyone who's not familiar, you know, provinces get a pool of money to complete housing by a certain time frame. And if the housing isn't completed in that time frame, you, you don't get the money. But essentially, it's meant to alleviate some of the pressure from our existing shelter system by creating permanent, fully function, functional single room occupancy units, which are basically micro apartments, um, which starts to, I think, lead a little, lean a little bit more into housing first approach, which I do think is a critical shift, right? It creates more opportunity for dignity to be inherent in some in housing because you're not, you know, you're not sharing your space with 80 other people. You know, you do have your own space. You have a little bit more privacy. And I, I think that's a really critical shift. Um, 
Now, I don't think it'll completely eliminate the need for other shelter models. Like we've been saying, you know, some people really can benefit from closer supports, but I do certainly think that the shelf can help alleviate some pressure from our existing system. Oh, it absolutely will. Of course, right? We've talked about before, you need all kinds and we, we don't have enough of that type of housing. We should also say that rapid housing, what it does too, not only does it get built and built quickly, but organizations say Blue Door, if they receive rapid housing, you're not taking on debt. The entire project, or most of, for the most part, is is paid for in full, where other uh, CMHC um, programs, there's some loan and debt taken on, right, to build housing. So it's very uh, uh, appealing to people. And and for the government to say, we, we need this, we need this now. I think we're talking about like 3 million homes uh, in the next uh, next 10 years that we need to build. We need a workforce to build them, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so workshops does some pretty cool stuff. Can you talk about some of the uh, things that you've done that you're really proud of and, and why so? Sure. Well, I, I think that our work on the Rapid Housing Initiative has been like an amazing learning opportunity. You know, so far we've been taking older out of commission buildings like motels and, and converting them into single room occupancy transitional spaces. Uh, but on like a slightly different note, uh, I actually think that our studio office space is really cool. Um, also because of the process, like it was a super collaborative design exercise and it was like, it was really fun just to see how everyone approached their own working spaces. And then, you know, we got to come together and amalgamate those ideas into built form, which was like an amazing, neat experience. And, and, you know, I work in it every day and well, most days I'm part-time from home. Um, but I, I, I love my workspace. You know, there's a lot of colors and plants and light. And it's like, it's really neat to be in a space that like has a little bit of everyone from the office and like, and that, so it's pretty cool. Um, so I, I think that's a really neat project that I'm proud of. Very, very cool. And, you know, you and I have talked before uh, this podcast about some of the cool stuff that you're open to. We've talked about, uh, and we talked about this with many people on this podcast. We're like, well, there's no space in Toronto. Where are they going to build? Right. And, and uh, I remember uh, Mark from Housing Now Toronto. Um, he said, let's go, you know, I'll take it a drive and I'll show you every parking lot, every single story building, every library that the, the city owns that might be only two floors. And we talked about fire halls too, right? And EMS. Uh, ambulance stations that are two in, in, in saying that we should never build another one that's only two stories and it's building vertical right and using that space above I think recently uh, I think it might have been Metropolitan uh, University of Toronto did a study or U of T sorry one of the two around they, they took like Sobeys the Canadian Tire like five six stores and said if we just built housing above that we could create 67,000 new affordable units right just using space that already exists right so it, it's there and i love the creativity that workshop and because i say well what about current well you know you you guys never say never there's a <laughs> lot more difficult well you know you could do this but i love that uh, about your organization and let's let's talk about that what are some of the cool innovations you've seen uh in the affordable housing space um, yeah, just around in, in Toronto, I, I myself haven't worked on it, but like you were mentioning earlier, modular housing is definitely lending itself very well to affordable housing construction. Um, you know, it's essentially factory built housing components that are then put together and assembled on site. You know, it's fast, easy, cheap. Well, I mean, cheap, relatively speaking, you know, we're still in the GTA. <laughs> um, all, these are all things that are critical in affordable housing. You know, we, we need housing 
now, um, you know, and, and, you know, building these structures, you know, money is a huge component. You need, you need to be able to do it affordably. Um, and, you know, something that's also really neat with these, um, with modular construction is there actually is a decent amount of room for flexibility and in design innovation, which you might not think that there is. Um, but it's cool, you know, we have been seeing this used in transitional and um, transitional housing around the GTA and, and, and beyond in Canada, which is which is great, you know, it's part, it's a major component of the rapid housing initiative. So, you know, we are seeing more and more of these projects come to fruition. So that's, that's been neat. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say this, I've learned so much along the way in that uh, with modular housing, they're saying like, I think some people are like, oh, it's so cheap. It's not that it's that much cheaper than uh, stick build, right? But it's half the time. So you're saving money on the time where a normal build, and again, it totally depends on how many units you're building, but might be uh, 24 months. And I think you would cut that in half with a modular build because you're not doing it, as you said, all on site, right? You're bringing, bringing the pieces and doing that. So it's, it definitely is, of course, with rapid housing plays a huge part uh, because it has to happen rapidly for sure. Lots of, lots of cool things happening. Listen, uh, I think workshop uh, to our listeners, if you're in the GTA, and I don't know if you do work outside, of, but if you're in the GTA and you want to work with some architects who really get it, who get the affordable housing space, who want to do this work, who are excited, passionate about it, uh, where can people reach out? Um, so our website is workshopto.ca. That's W-O-R-K-S-H-O-P-T-O dot C-A. Or just on Instagram, which is at workshopRTO, so W-O-R-K-S-H-O-P-A-R-C-H-T-O. Awesome. You have been a wonderful guest. Thank you for your passion. And you know what? Also, uh, for, for me, um, uh, individuals like yourself, young and, and brilliant and passionate about this, it, it inspires me. So thanks for the inspiration. Thanks for the work that you and Workshop are doing. Thanks for educating us. Uh, around this uh, this space. So great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, you see there, what, what you know, lots of uh, key moments that came out of this or thoughts that I'm going to take with me, but design matters. Uh, a few years back, I was with a wonderful organization in York Region called 360 Kids. And the region, I love York Region and, and uh, Housing York because they do build buildings with dignity in mind. They're beautiful buildings. Um, and we built this hub, or the Housing York built this hub for 360 kids, for youth. And it's a beautiful design. It's really nice, whatever. And, and people will say, whoa, well, you know, maybe it looks too nice. The question is, is too nice for who? If you walk into a space and it feels like a hospital, or as Kelly was saying, institutional feel to it, no one's going to walk into it. It has to feel like home. The big question is, would you live there? If the question is no, then you got some redesigning to do designed with dignity. If you take nothing else from this podcast today, and I'm sure there's lots you'll take from it, remember that it's around health and it's around dignity and, and design matters. Another great episode. We'll see you next week on The Way Home.
I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com. Produced by Cryer Media and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company.